We do not live in an unreached people group. Our country has plentiful access to the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it be printed, uh, verbal from a friend, riding by and seeing a church, right? And you go inside and check it out or visual and and media uh, through TV and internet. We have abundant access to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but these numbers don't even take into account all the fact, the fact of all the people in America who don't believe and trust in Jesus Christ and other places that are advanced and civilized in these ways. So the number then that we're looking at is even greater than 4.6 billion in terms of people who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Now, Jesus, as he was about to ascend to heaven after he rose from the grave, if you're familiar with his last few moments on earth, he was speaking to his disciples who were gathered there, and he told them the importance of spreading his message around the globe. We call this today the Great Commission. Jesus told them that they should go among all nations and all peoples and tell them the good news that he is the one true God. He is the Savior of the world. And that mission that the disciples started that day, that Jesus started and the disciples he gave to them, that mission is our mission today. It is very much the mission of any follower of Jesus Whether you signed up for this or not, if you follow Christ, then you follow his commands. And one of his greatest commands is what we call that great commission. So we have this great task before us. And I mean, where do we even start? Over 4.6 billion people, souls, that if they died today, they would not spend eternity with God. They would spend eternity separated from him in a place that the Bible is very clear about called hell. And so we have to look at ourselves and say, what are we going to do about that? Now, we could come up with all kinds of good strategies. How do we reach these folks? How do we spread the gospel to our next door neighbor? How do we spread the gospel across the world to other remote places where maybe it's never even been spoken? We could come up with all the greatest strategies you can imagine. But at the end of the day, no matter how great our strategy may be, if we lack compassion, if compassion for the lost, if compassion for the lost is not our driving force behind that strategy, and behind the actions of fulfilling the Great Commission, then in the end, what does it really matter? Because our hearts, if they are not in the right place, our strategy will fail. We will give up. We will too easily be indifferent. Compassion is the key to fulfilling the Great Commission. And the main point today that we're going to see in Psalm 67 is compassion for the lost. We must have compassion for our world as Christ had for us. We must if we're going to make a difference. Let's begin in this song 
Psalm 67, verses 1 through 3. This is an anonymous author. We're not sure exactly. It doesn't say that David wrote this. He may have, but it doesn't say that. So Psalm 67, verses 1 through 3. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You see, the psalmist here is singing with the right attitude already, right? The psalmist is singing with a desire for God to bless us, his people, so that God's ways and, and God's saving power, he says, may be made known throughout the world. Now, when he says us, he's referring to the people of God. Now, when this song was written, that was Israel. So the nation of Israel were the people of God uh, then, right? But today, it's us. It's the church. So you could very much say now in contemporary language after Jesus came to earth, you can say, may God be gracious to his church and bless his church so that his church can make his ways known on this earth to all peoples. So the psalmist, though, in this original language is singing with this desire He has a deep desire for God to be gracious to and bless his own people, but not just for their benefit, for the benefit of the entire world population, for all peoples on earth. So we immediately, in these first three verses, see a very missional link. This is a missional tone. And the original audience listening and singing this song together in worship would have known exactly what the psalmist was talking about. You know why? Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, I mean, we're going way back here, right? Almost to the beginning of time. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, listen to this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that, boy, those words are so important. I'm not going to make your name great just for the, the sake of that. No, so that you will be a blessing. God tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the mission of God from day one. All along, God has always planned to call people to himself. He has always had it in his strategy, in his game plan, for his people to be his representatives in this world. Again, used to be for Israel, but now it's for all Christians of all time and all places. We all have this calling. So we, as God's people, we can now sing this song in Psalm 67. We can sing it and we can ask him to bless us so that... The importance of those two words, so that we 
can then share his blessings with a world that doesn't know him. So people can experience for themselves the goodness of God, the graciousness of God, the forgiveness of God, the freedom that is known only through committing your life to Jesus Christ. But again, it all comes down to compassion. Like, do we really care? You know? Like, do we really care? You see, it's one thing to acknowledge that this is true. And what I mean is, oh yeah, Jesus said we should care about all peoples and, and nations in the world and we should try to share the good news and yeah, let's do that, right? I mean, it, it, I think all of us would probably in here agree, yes, I'm for that. But it's another thing to actually care enough about it to do it yourself. That's a whole other issue. And for that to happen, for that to happen, we must have compassion for those who are lost in this world, who are broken and hurting and do not understand and do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the heart of this song. That's how Jesus felt himself. Jesus had that compassion. Listen to this. Listen to the compassion in Christ. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, listen, listen to this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, now, now notice this, it starts with compassion in the heart of Christ himself but it's going to lead to action. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Again, it is one thing to acknowledge the Great Commission and the importance of reaching all people. It's another thing to have compassion. And that's how Christ felt. Just in these verses, we see Jesus fulfilling what Israel failed to do. We see Christ doing what we failed to do. He was being obedient to God's plan of redemption that he originally told Abraham in Genesis 12. Jesus was doing it because he had true compassion for the people who were lost in this world without him, without a shepherd. And then he turns to his disciples and he basically tells them, uh, you need to get busy. Let's get busy doing this great work. So I, I want to talk for a minute. I want to switch gears here just a second. I want to talk about how compassion for others is really cultivated in our hearts. How, how do we get <laughs> compassionate? How do we become compassionate toward those that don't know Christ. You know, the great missionary Lottie Moon, we take up an offering around Christmas every year named after her. She said, surely there is no greater joy than saving souls. Man, no greater joy than leading someone to Christ. That's how she felt about leading others to Jesus. You know, I think our natural tendency in life is to lack compassion, right? I mean, you know, how often do you find yourself saying something like, 
well, I don't feel sorry for you, right? I mean, somebody does something and, and you just say, I don't, so I don't feel sorry for them. I don't feel sorry for that person. They brought it on themselves. That's why they're in that predicament. I mean, we are so naturally inclined to lack compassion. And why is that though, really? You know, I think one of the major reasons is because we're too busy caring about ourselves. We're so self-focused. I mean, all of us, by nature, in our sinful nature that the Bible says we live in and we have by birth, right? All of us are a little narcissistic. All of us are a little insecure of ourselves. And so what do we do? Well, we have to overcome this insecurity of ourselves. And and so we become more and more self-focused. We tend to think of ourselves and our needs and our comforts first, right? And, And one big reason for this is because spiritually, we know that we're separated from God. So so in our fallen state, in our sinful nature, we recognize that we are not right with God. And so instead, though, instead of resting and trusting in the work of Jesus for us on our behalf, we don't don't want to do that. That is too easy or, or we don't understand it. And so we think we have to work our way to God. We think we have to do things and try really hard to be a good person to get God to approve of us. We think we have to prove ourselves. So we try to prove ourselves to God. We try to prove ourselves to each other. We try to prove ourselves to our boss and our spouse and our kids. And it's just one big quest to make God think that we're good, to make other people think that we're good because we're not resting in the work of Christ. We're overwhelming ourselves with this endless quest to try to see if we're going to be okay spiritually in the end, if we're going to make it into heaven or not. It's a never-ending mind game when we don't rest in Christ. And so we, we look to other things to to give us that approval and acceptance in life. So when we forget the gospel, when we forget that Jesus has already done everything for us, we just go into this endless cycle. When we forget the gospel and go down this way of thinking, everything is about us and us trying to prove that we are good enough. So do you see the self-focus that naturally comes into our lives when we don't rest in the work of Christ? And you know what? What does that have to do with compassion? Well, if you're only thinking about yourself, you're not going to be compassionate towards others. That means that people, people often in our lives become like pawns on a chessboard to us. We will use people. We will manipulate people. We will use people to to get things that build our quest for proving ourselves, right? And so we will use people in whatever way we need to to ultimately point everyone else back to how good we are. People in our lives become a means to an end. So yeah, we may show compassion from time to time if it benefits us in some way, but there is a different way to live. We don't have to live that way. If Christ is your Savior and you trust in His work on the cross and His resurrection as the work He completed for you, when He hung on the cross and said, it is finished, He didn't say, okay, I've done most of it. Now, Andrew, you go try to be a really good guy. 
And if you can go the rest, if you can go the rest of the way, boy, I might just let you into heaven one day. That's not it. When he hung and bled for you and for me, he hung and bled and said, it is finished. It's done. The work that you couldn't do, I've done for you. That is the gospel. If Christ is your savior and you trust in that good news, then guess what? Here's the amazing, liberating truth. You no longer have to use other people then for selfish gain. Because you have already gained everything you could ever need in Jesus himself. You are now free. Do you see how overwhelming and, and, and taxing and tiring that other way of living is? Always trying to prove yourself to others. But it is restful. It is peaceful and liberating to know that in Christ, in the work of Him given to you, His righteousness given to you, you are now free to love and bless others selflessly with no restraint, extending the grace of God to them. The grace God has shown you, you extend it to others. So the only way, I mean, the only way we will ever be truly compassionate toward others is when we get that. When we are deeply grateful for the compassion of God to us that he has had through Jesus' sacrificial death in our place. Look at verse 1 again. The psalmist says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. You see, that phrase, making his face to shine upon us, it was a phrase that meant you were, you were asking God for his approval. You wanted his approval shining on you. But because we're sinful creatures, how could God shine his face on us in our sin and our, our wickedness? How could he look at us with approval? Here's how. God's face, his favor, is able to shine on us because he turned his face away from Jesus on the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross, he shouted and quoted another song, song, Psalm 22, and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And darkness fell over the earth as Jesus hung on the cross because God, the Father himself, could not bear to look at his Son and the evil and the wickedness that he became for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus endured the rejection of the Father so that we could receive the approval of God the Father. Only, only when we understand how much we've been given can we then give to others. Only when we understand how much we've been forgiven can we forgive. So do you see then the weight behind the statement, the opening statement of this song. I mean, what a powerful, meaningful, and compassionate prayer we can then pray when we are truly grateful for the gospel. Lord, would you bless us as your people 
so that we can bless others. Do you see the weight behind that opening line in the song? But a question still arises as we think about all of this. What kinds of blessings are we blessing others with? What has God given us that we are now handing to the lost world? So if we have that compassion, now let's get a little more practical. What blessings are we, are we passing along from God through us to others? Well, this psalm mentions three that I want to cover with you real quick. So three blessings we have received and should compassionately share with our lost world. The first one is in verse 2. It's redemption. It's salvation. Look at this, verse 2. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. You see, the first and foremost blessing we've received is the compassion of God. In other words, our redemption, our salvation. So in our gratitude, what do we do? We desire for all nations and all peoples to know that compassion of God as well. We must realize the earth is the Lord's and he deserves praise from all peoples. God's glory is best displayed around this earth when people come to know him. So God's, God may craft the most beautiful sunset somewhere in the world but if the people on the ground are looking up at it and they do not know Christ, it, in the end, doesn't really matter. Because if they do not know Christ, they will spend eternity without him. So the most special way that God is glorified is not the creation and the beauty of it. It's the human soul repenting and trusting in Jesus for salvation. That is how our God is glorified the greatest. But this is a giant task, like we said, right? 4.6 billion plus over that. And this is why we must take this so seriously. And I know my tone today is a little more on the serious side. And I'm usually, you know, at least <laughs> making you laugh once, maybe. I don't know, right? But this is so serious. And we have to think deeply about this. Where do we even begin? We begin one person at a time. We begin one church at a time. You see, this priority is reflected in our vision statement here at Kernan. I mean, that's part of who we want to be as a church. Kernan, we exist. This local body of Christ exists to, to glorify God by making disciples. And specifically here, we want to do that in three ways, right? Disciples who worship with authenticity, walk in community, and witness as we go. But look at that. We want to glorify God by making disciples. So redemption is the first and foremost blessing that we compassionately share with the lost world. There's another blessing here. Look at, look at this in verse 4 and 5. We see the blessing of renewal. So not only redemption, salvation, that's first and foremost, but renewal. Look at verses 4 and 5. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You see, these first two, these first two blessings are sequential. You can't have renewal without redemption. But renewal is such an amazing blessing of our salvation. Verse 4 tells us the nations can finally be glad. They can sing for joy because in the midst of their brokenness, 
they now look not to the creation, but to the Creator for salvation. And He is a loving Father. He's a good judge, we see here. Our God is a a judge, a faithful and just judge. He judges with equity, with fairness, the text tells us. See, we live in a very unfair world. We live in an unfair world, and if we look to the justice and fairness and wisdom of our God, then He will guide us. He will guide us through this world, and He will renew us inwardly so that outwardly we can help in the renewal of our societies and our cultures of this world for His glory. That's how, transition, or that's how transformation actually happens through the renewal of the heart that it becomes so filled with God's love and compassion that it overflows into society, one by one, one person at a time. So, so guess what happens when a group of people in the world, when they start experiencing the transforming, renewing power of the gospel, that begins to reflect in the surrounding culture over time. So if you want to see any society in this world or any culture transformed, I got news for you. It is not primarily going to happen through government or politics or some kind of, uh, you know, rally or whatever you want to do. It's going to happen through the gospel transforming people's hearts. It can only truly happen by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit as people believe and trust in Jesus himself. And in the wake of the sin and the brokenness and the injustice that this world does bring, many people are left with nothing but great sadness and mourning and suffering. But when people embrace the one true God through Christ, they begin to acknowledge who He really is. They begin to acknowledge what He really desires. And as they read and they study the Bible and the Scriptures in their own language, they pray and God's desires become their desires. So as people begin to submit to God's just rule, they then seek to demonstrate that to others. And that's how cultural renewal happens. That's how it can really take root. When people love one another sacrificially as Christ has loved them. The third and final blessing we see in this song is resource. God blesses us with salvation, redemption, first and foremost, and that leads to renewal. But we also see a blessing of resources here in verses 6 and 7. The psalmist says, The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. I really like the way the New International Version translates it. It says, the land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. You see, another blessing we have is God's provision. And so if the harvest is plentiful, if the harvest is plentiful, we should not hoard it for ourselves, but we should bless others so that others may Fear him and know him too. Compared to the rest of the world, I mean, it's really not even close. We have so much wealth here in America. We really do. So many resources. I mean, there's really no excuse 
There's really, at the end of the day, there is no excuse for the gospel of Jesus to not already be in every nation by now. There's still people in this world who do not have a copy of the Bible in their own language that they can understand. Shame on us. Shame on us. But I think one big question for us today is, I mean, do we even care? Do we care? Do we really care that billions of people are on their way to living in hell forever without Jesus? Do we only care about the salvation of people who are like us? Are we compassionate toward all people? Or just towards those who look like us and think like us and talk like us and like the same things as us? The world says other people should be our enemies. I'm glad that's not how God looked at me when I was his enemy. The prophet Jonah in the Old Testament you know, God told him to go and preach the message of salvation to people of a different race in a different country than him. You know what he did? Ran in the other direction. He disobeyed God. He didn't even want those people to know God. He really didn't. He disliked and hated those other people so much that he did not even want them to be saved. And that's a negative example in Scripture, but boy, there's so many good examples of how we should obey when God tells us to spread his glory around the world. But think of the best example, Jesus himself. Think about the types of people Jesus went after. Jesus, you know who he went after? He went after Matthew. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector. That means he was a Jew who worked for the Roman Empire. And so his fellow Jews hated him. Because he was basically a traitor. He was working for the Roman Empire that had rule over Palestine at the time. And nobody liked Matthew. But Jesus called him to be one of his 12 disciples. What about the woman at the well? She was a Samaritan. She was a foreigner. People hated Samaritans. People would go out of their way to not travel through Samaria. They would go extra miles to not even go through that part of the world because they did not want to become unclean like the Samaritans. Jesus went to Samaria. He met a woman there at the well who was living in a tangled web of sin and relationships problem, relationship problems. Did Jesus yell at her and throw an Old Testament scroll and hit her on the head with it? It's the Old Testament equivalent of hitting somebody over the head with a Bible today. No! He loved her and he told her about living water. He gave salvation to her. What about Zacchaeus? My kids have been singing that silly song all week. Zacchaeus! He was a tax collector as well who committed fraud and stole from people. Jesus pursued him and, and went to his house. And what did he do? He gave him the gift of salvation. Now let me ask you, who are you not 
showing compassion to. Apparently, Jesus didn't have a problem with talking to anybody. He didn't have a problem with loving everybody. He didn't have a problem with wanting people who were different than him to love him and to spend eternity with him. Now, who are we not showing compassion to like Christ? It may be an individual in your life. It may be somebody that you just don't like. I get it. It may be a group of people. And may we all confess our sin where we need to and ask God to give us a compassion for the lost and this hurting world that desperately needs his good news. Real quick, I want to close today by just giving you some practical application of how we can truly witness as we go. That's the last phrase of our vision statement here at Kernan, the church we want to be. We want to be a people who witness as we go. Or how do we do that? Well, I think we can seek to extend all three of these blessings to a lost world around us. So let's talk about redemption real quick. How can you extend the blessing of redemption in your life? I think, I think the strategy is simple, though I know it's complex relationally, but just share the gospel, right? Talk about God. Have God conversations with people in your life who don't know Jesus. Now, that is easier said than done. I completely admit it is easier said than done. But the best way to do that is not randomly going up to somebody in the grocery store. Hey, man, uh, nice waffles you got there. Hey, if you were to die today, man, where would you go? To, would you go to heaven or hell? I'm like, that, you could do that? You can do that, but the best way, the best way is to invest in their lives. Just get to know somebody. Get to know people who don't know Jesus and love them. Show them that you care about them. And in those right opportunities, talk about God with them. You'll be amazed at how the Holy Spirit can use that. Renewal. How do we, how do we demonstrate, how do we extend the blessing of renewal in our culture, in our society. That's a tough task. We can't do it alone. One big way is don't add to the division with your words, right? Speak kindly of others, especially those who are not on your side. Speak kindly. Listen. Don't just speak. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. Get involved with a community group here at Kernan. Our, our community groups have a great strategy of, of serving our city and trying to make a difference in our city by adopting local mission projects. We're still in the process of, of getting that off the ground. But, but our 30s class, they're involved with an organization called Foster Closet, helping foster parents in need. Our, our 40s class works with BEAM, uh, Beaches Emergency Area Management. They're doing great work with them. Man, get involved. Get involved with the community group here at Kernan and, and let's get out in our city and make a difference. Let's extend the blessing of God's renewal. You know, when we distance ourselves from people, we become indifferent. But nearness, nearness leads to compassion. When you actually get out there in the world and you start serving and helping and you start seeing the underbelly of society, you start seeing some of the things the really brokenness and hurting people in this world, compassion grows in your heart when you're near them. But if you're always distant, you will always be indifferent. Thirdly, resources. How can we be, how can we extend the blessing of the resources God gives us just like the psalmist sang about? I think we give. We give generously. 
We give generously to the church so that we can seek to accomplish this great task of giving hope to our surrounding world. We make a commitment to give to domestic and international missions. We do that twice a year in in the Annie Armstrong offering around Easter, the Lottie Moon offering at Christmas. Man, make a commitment to give to those. Share your resources with someone in need who doesn't know Jesus. What a great way to show them personally, individually, that you care about them. You see, the opportunities are endless. The opportunities are endless. But may the same sentiment that Jesus had when he looked on the crowd with compassion and saw that they were like lost sheep without a shepherd, may that same sentiment be the driving force in our hearts as we look outside of these walls to a lost hurting, broken world. May we look on them with compassion and may that compassion lead us to action to truly extend the blessings of God, his redemption, the renewal that that brings and share the resources we have so that God's glory and his name may be known among the nations. Can we do that, church? Let's do that. Would you pray with me and ask the Lord for his help? Jesus, we love you. And we are thankful. We're thankful that you had compassion on us, infinite compassion, to the point that you laid down your life for ours. Lord, forgive us and have mercy on us for where we have failed in this area. Forgive us, Lord, for being distant to those who are hurting and therefore indifferent. Lord, may we be near to the brokenhearted as you have been near to us. God, would you give us hearts of compassion? Lord, let us live lives that truly reflect your light in this dark world. God, this world desperately needs your hope, Jesus, the only hope. And God, when we stand before you at the end of our lives in heaven, when we stand before your throne, And you as the great judge, the loving father and great judge that you are, you look down on us and you ask, what did you do? What did you do to further my kingdom? Lord, may we be found faithful in that moment. May you tell us, well done, my good and faithful servant. But Jesus, we need your help. Holy Spirit, We need the Holy Spirit to be the power that makes this happen. So we ask for that power. We ask for that blessing. Lord, would you bless us so that we may truly bless others in these ways? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.